Hi, this is Jim Brangenberg, the host of the I Work For Him radio show. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast, where we discuss our workplace as our mission field. The live version of our show can be heard each weekday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern on AM 570 and 910 WTBN, locally in the Tampa Bay area, and worldwide on the web at letstalkfaith.com or iHeartRadio. Our website, iWorkForHim.com, has great resources on how you can learn about how your workplace can be your mission field. And also check out the sponsors that bring you the radio show each and every day. And while you're there on I Work For Him, click on the I Work For Him Nation flag and prayerfully consider joining the I Work For Him Nation. Join thousands around the globe praying for their coworkers and employees by name each and every day. That's IWorkForHim.com. I Work, the number four, Him.com. Remember, your workplace is your mission field, and in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Thanks again for listening. I hope this broadcast will make an impact on your life so that you'll never look at your workplace the same again. Let's get to today's show. You tune into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. Super big thanks goes out to Ace Andrews. Have you joined the I Work For Him Nation? We're starting to get calls from all over the country of people saying, hey, Jim, I heard about this I Work For Him Nation. I want to make that commitment to, pr- to start praying for my coworkers and employees by name each and every day. I want to start praying for those that I work with because I'd love for them to have the opportunity to hear about Jesus. And you know what? That's the first step in becoming part of the I Work For Him Nation, just being willing to be willing to make that commitment to pray for your people each and every day. Then look for ways to serve them on a day-to-day basis in the workplace. Look for just simple opportunities to reach out and take care of people above and beyond your normal call of duty. And then look for ways to befriend your coworkers and employees, making a commitment to saying, hey, I want them to get to know me for real so they know how much I love them because of how much my Heavenly Father loves them. We also are asking our I Work For Him Nation members to make the commitment to look for opportunities to pray with people when they see that their countenance is down, when they see that they're just having a bad day, to be able to go up and have this kind of conversation. Hey, you don't seem like you're having, you just don't seem like yourself today. What's going on? And wait for the answer. And after they're done sharing whatever's on their heart, just say, hey, can I pray with you about that right now? I've never had anybody tell me no. It's the most powerful conversation you could ever have with somebody. When people are down and out, they want prayer. They're never, I have never had anybody tell me no. But all along, people that join the I Work For Him Nation are people that, are, that want to display excellence in their workplace, that really want to show the work that God has done in their lives by doing an excellent job with everything that they do, they do every day. Go out to IWorkForHim.com and make the commitment to start praying for your coworkers and employees today. Click on the I Work For Him Nation flag and join today and start praying tomorrow morning and making an impact on your office tomorrow. Romans 12, 2 talks about the, just the paradigm shift that needs to happen in our minds, because if we're going to take our faith seriously, we have to reject what the world offers. Certainly need to reject the whole idea of, hey, we all are good, because we're not. It says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Romans 12.2 defines what it means to be a member of the I Work For Him Nation. You've got to start, stop thinking the way the world dictates that we've got to think. Hey, every day I try to bring on different guests that will challenge you and me the way we think about our faith in the workplace. And today, I got real missionaries. Now, I say that, I shouldn't say it like that because you and me, we're all missionaries in our workplace. But 
I've got Mike and Linda Gunderson on the line with us today. Mike Gunderson was my high school. He discipled me in high school, and he and his bride, Linda, have been on the mission field overseas, the overseas mission field, for almost 30 years, and they train pastors. I can't wait for you to hear this story. Mike and Linda Gunderson, welcome to I Work For Him. Hi, Joe. Hey. How's about you? That's all I got to say. How's about you? How's about you? Some things never change. We still talk the same way, don't we? Yes, we do. You know, all of uh, several gentlemen wanted to say hi to you today. Over the weekend, uh, Jeff Lindstrom, Scott Evenson, Mark Pearson, and Chris Fish spent the weekend down here in sunny Florida as we all celebrated turning 50 this year. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> And they all said to say hello. They were disappointed they couldn't be on the show today. But if you really want to get a real laugh, you should go out into the archives, Gundy, and listen to last Friday's show when all of us were on the air. Nobody ever would have predicted that, and I'm not sure the country was ready for it either. But we were all on the air together. <laughs> I actually listened to it. it was did awesome. you listen to it? Did you? I did. Uh, it was it, it, the person that was most nervous. Of course, was our buddy Scott. He wasn't real thrilled about that. When I told him he's going on the air, he goes, "Wait a minute! I didn't agree to that." Anyway, this show is about you guys and the ministry that God has put you guys in. You've had such an amazing impact on my life, Mike. I know I've told you that many times in the last thirty years. Yeah. But I really thought it was valuable because what you did in my life as a sixteen-year-old and a seventeen-year-old, you've been doing ever since in the lives of pastors and Linda with their wives across the world. I mean, first 20 years in Brazil, but now around the world. And people just need to know what you guys are doing because it's inspiring. But here, here's the question. So we're going to head into the break in about a minute. So Gundy, you can't talk about this too long, but how is, <laughs> how is Jesus impacting your world today? Like me personally in this world? You personally, you personally. Yeah. Well, today is, uh, I've been going at a torrid pace, and today has been Connect with Jesus Day. So just kind of getting my life in order and and uh, getting some emails done. And so I just started my day in His presence and praying for people and in the Word and just getting connected. So that's my goal is that he's, he's, uh, I'm connected to Him all day long. Mm, that's a good. That's a good goal, Linda. What about you? How is Jesus making an impact in your world today? You know, I think I wake up every morning and just ask God to use me to be an impact in the lives of the people that I run into. So wherever that is, whether I'm overseas or stateside, I just really want to love people well. Um, yeah, and see God touch them through me. Um, when I see Jesus impacting my world through me, that's a good day. Well said. We're talking today with Mike and Linda Gunderson. We go way back with these folks. And it's because of Mike's investment in me and his faithful calling as he was in college and I was in high school. He invested in my life and really got me going in the right direction. And and it's that influence in my life that set me on a path to a steady growth in my walk with Christ over 37 years. Mike and Linda, you guys, after you got married, went off to the mission field. And you guys have been on the mission field, foreign mission field, really, for almost, for 28 years. It's, it's a long, it's hard to believe, it's so long. What, how did you know that was your calling? Mike? Well, uh, Linda actually was a little bit uh, faster than me in the process. Linda, maybe you want to just share a little bit about your story. 
Well, my story's pretty quick. Um, I grew up in a super missions-minded church, and from the time I was just, you know, knee-high to a grasshopper, I would see these missionary presentations, and they would tell me about the people around the world that never had the opportunity to hear about the name of Jesus. And it broke my little heart, and when I was six years old, I just felt called to be missionary and never really wavered much from that. Wow. Well, Gundy, I know that's not your story, but what, what was <laughs> no. your story? That's my. That's not my story. Yeah, um, I look back now as an an old bald guy. That that uh, it really started. I think really strong when I was 15 years old. I went to camp, uh, Camp Shamanah, which you and I probably went to. And uh, I had this really wacko counselor. His name was John, and and he started talking on Sunday night and talked all week about following Jesus with all of our lives and. He quoted the Bible, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And and verses like that that talk about, uh, you know, placing your complete trust and faith in Christ. And I went home and started reading my Bible and, and realized that that dude was right. And and so I, um, so I surrendered my life completely to Christ. And it was a few months later, I got a call from a uh, family friend who said they were putting together a basketball team to do evangelism in the Philippines and wanted to know if I wanted to go. And so I did that, and it was awesome, and sharing my faith with people over there. And then the next summer in uh, in uh, Latin America, Bolivia and Peru, Ecuador, and at the end of that process, I, after meeting missionaries and just that experience, I just told the Lord, I'll do anything, I'll, I'll go anywhere, uh, my life is yours, and then I got into youth ministry at, at the church we grew up in together, and and uh, and then in seminary I uh, took a missions uh, class, perspectives on the world Christian movement, and during that course I just had this huge burden for missions. I couldn't get it out of my heart, out of my uh, heart and mind, and I just knew that burden was was from the Lord that I needed to uh, go and and serve someplace around the world. Well, and, and now missions in the last 28 years you guys have been involved in missions. Well, you've been involved longer than that because you started in high school, as you just described on that traveling basketball team. I'd forgotten about that. As you look at how missions has changed, because it has changed. I mean, it was, you know, 40 years ago, you know, it was the white guy going to some foreign country, planting a church and working alongside um, local people to, to go to run a church. But that ministry is very different today. When you, it's not, you guys aren't planting, like when you went to Brazil, you guys planted churches. Yeah. Yeah, we but, initially went as, uh, as church planters. Over the years, we realized what you're talking about, that, that uh, the ministry is usually so much better when national, local people do it. So we really shifted our focus to um, developing national workers, national church planters, national pastors. And have been doing that pretty much ever since. Well, and let's talk about that work in Brazil, because you guys gave up. I mean, I, the stories that I've heard over the years and, and following your newsletter for all of these years, that was the the mission in Brazil got more and more dangerous as it went. But you planted, how many churches did you guys have the privilege of being involved in helping grow in Brazil? Linda, do you answer that question? Well, there was one main church that we um planted, and actually as we tried to pass that off to Brazilian leadership, we ended up getting it back and having to plant it over again, so it kind of counts for two, I'm not really sure. And then we had um, a sister church that kind of got adopted into our movement, and then that mother church did plant a daughter church. So 
the numbers aren't real clear, but we just kind of kept working on planting churches while we were there. Well, and now you were a mom on the mission field, and, and I've heard from other ladies on the mission field whose husbands are the quote-unquote main missionary and the wives are there to support their husbands, that that it's actually probably harder on the wives slash moms in the mission field because your job doesn't change whether you're in the States or whether you're in Brazil. It's just amplified in difficulty because you're on the foreign mission field doing what you could have done anywhere. Did you ever see it that way? Wow. You know, I think I had so longed to be a missionary my whole life that there, I think when we got there and started having kids right away, um, I really hadn't seen myself as being a mom, a stay-at-home mom. I was, like, longing to be out there doing ministry. So that was a real struggle for me um, in one sense. But it did change and morph while we were on the field. Um, Eventually, I was, you know, I did homeschooling for a while. We put our kids in national Brazilian schools for a while. And then um, we did end up starting an international Christian school, which I served on the board of that. And that kind of fit a need for our kids, and it gave me a ministry outlet and freed me up to be able to be more involved with women on the mission field. So, and, and that's really what led to your ministry with women. You, you, the, you started the Care Network. What, what is, I mean, what was your biggest need as a mom slash wife of a guy who's out there running the streets of Rio and all the towns around? What was your biggest struggle being in that, that, that apartment all day long? Yeah, you know, I think my biggest struggle, especially in the early years, really was dealing with fear and anxiety. And Rio, we we were in the city of Rio de Janeiro, and um, the violence was just palpable. I mean, our neighbors in our apartment complex were, you know, shot at and pretty much everybody that we knew had been, you know, a victim of violence of some kind. So I think when Mike would leave home, that was the age before cell phones, and he would be late, I honestly would often plan his funeral in my head, and the first thing I would say to him when he walked in the door was, you know, what's your favorite hymn? I can't remember it, and I was planning your funeral. So, um, yeah, I think that was a huge fear for me. And even as our prayer supporters, you know, they would say... um, but don't worry, God's going to take care of you. He's going to keep you safe. We're praying for you, you know, and you're going to be fine. But I think there is, um, you know, when you live in that environment and you know and see really good people also suffering from the violence of a major city, um, you know that they're well-intentioned, but it isn't necessarily true. And so I think for me that fear, um, I didn't really let go of it until I really came to the place where I you know, just hung on to Hebrews 13.5 that just says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Um, and and I could just trust that no matter what happened, God had me, and he was going to carry me through. And that was real the real breakthrough for me. But it was definitely the hardest part for me was just fighting fear. Hmm. Now, Mike, you were going out and running around on the streets of Rio, working with pastors, planting churches, working with trying to grow churches. Did that fear and anxiety impact you? You know, I think I was on alert. Um, you know, I think there's a, you just pay attention to what's happening around you. But I didn't, I don't think I was gripped with fear. I think, um, you know, when, they, when the kids were around, these little toehead blondes that we were carrying around, probably collectively we had, we were even more um, attuned to what was happening around us. But when I was out there by myself, I didn't really worry so much. Now, the the ministry morphed as you guys were there, and, and the kids got older and eventually ended up 
going back from Brazil and heading back to the States and being based out of the States, how hard was that on you and your kids to make that transition after being in Brazil almost 20 years? How hard was that? Mike? Yeah, I would say, I would say that um, it was different for all four of us. Um, I think Linda and Nick adapted really quickly, and uh, Nick's our oldest son. And uh, I think Allie and I took a little more time um, just to adapt. I think it has to do with personality and life experience. And and for our daughter Allie, I think it was part of God's, clearly part of God's plan for her, because she works with MK's counseling and, and helping uh, missionary kids. And I think he allowed her to have a difficult transition so that she could impact a lot of people. So, so she felt that she lived it. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So Mike Gunderson invested in my life as a 16 and 17-year-old as one of my youth sponsors and really invested in the lives of all of me and my buddies. And we talked about it this weekend, and we talked about the fact that, wow, our lives never would have been the same had somebody not invested in us and now mike and linda travel around the world and invest in pastors and their wives and provide them support training and discipleship so that they can feel equipped to to lead their own congregations wherever they are in the world mike and linda you guys just you know you travel all the time i mean it's hard to even keep track of you guys because you're in some other country every other week it seems like but you just had your first grandbaby how's that (laughs) <laughs> it's awesome. Oh, man. Linda? Yeah, it's amazing. Being a grandma is really, really awesome. So, yeah, we love little Chloe. I love spending time with her and holding her and, yeah, helping out whenever I can. It's it's incredible. Are you mm. praying over already that she'll follow in your footsteps and, and be a missionary someday? Well, for me, I just, my prayer for my kids and my granddaughter now is just that they will love the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and just follow God wherever He leads them. Whether it's overseas or stateside, doesn't really matter, as long as they're following Jesus with all their heart. Michael, what about you? How much does that impact you as you travel a lot? I know sometimes you leave Linda stateside and you travel. How, how hard is that to now leave not only your son and your daughter, but now your granddaughter? Yeah, I don't. I don't know that it really um, changes my call at all, and my and my passion to train pastors and leaders over, overseas. But definitely affects the way I use my time when I'm home, because I just uh, I just want to hold that little baby and and uh, have it fall asleep in my arms, which happens pretty much every time. Well, I fall asleep actually. Yeah, Jim. <laughs> while, I'm hold, while I'm holding her. Yeah, Jim, but, I'm going to start a series of photos of Mike asleep holding Chloe asleep because he's always so jet-lagged <laughs> when he sees her. I have a series already going. That's pretty good. I like that. So, yeah. Mike, you started learning to be a discipler under our pastor, Tom Kegley, way back when. And yeah. he encouraged you to invest in the lives. And you started by teaching our, our guys Sunday school class. And, you know, I'll never forget the song when you, that you made up about Ahimelech and Abimelech. And you started singing those. I mean, it just it, those creepy songs I can't get out of my head. Uh, but it, it, they were I'm good. So it was good. <laughs> but you started, you started learning the value of discipleship really as a young man. You've carried that forward today, and you now invest in pastors and leaders, as you said, around the world. Did you ever imagine that those steps as a college student would lead you to being a a teacher of pastors and leaders today? 
You know, I had no clue when that uh, when that was happening, the impact that that would have, not on, not just on me, but on on many many people. I've told the the story of um, our discipleship training that uh, Tom Tom gave us. I think it was probably fifteen minutes of training, where he just <laughs> said, "I want you to. I'm here's some guys, and I, I want you to spend time with them. I want you to drink coke and eat pizza, go to their football games, go to their houses." Uh, hang out with them and uh, teach them how to how to love Jesus and and read the Bible and pray. Um, go for it. You know, it was it was kind of that. It was a message of go live life with them and and get to know them and and uh, teach them how to live, watch walk their faith. And uh, man, I've told that story all over because um, it, it was just very Jesus kind of discipleship training. And of course, he walked with us. We met in his living room, and and he modeled that for us. But it's so simple that, and I don't know why more people don't do it. But I had no idea the impact, no idea whatsoever. Well, and and you talk about it. The, yeah, it's so simple. I don't know why more people don't do it. I think that's because it's so simple. People think, well, it's got to be more complicated than that. You know, and yeah. I'll tell you the stories I heard from the guys because we all sat around and we mostly well we played Risk, of course, but we, yeah. we mostly this weekend just talked about the impact that you had on our lives by just mm. living life with us, and all of those guys are walking with the Lord in a deep level. We're all we are all experiencing God differently, but it's hilarious the depth of the faith as 50-year-olds where we're at today going, wow, just think about what yeah. life would have been like if we hadn't. And, and the fact that we all literally, as our neighbors said, you guys acted like a bunch of 16-year-olds in the pool this weekend. Of course, because we, when we're together, we still act like 16-year-olds. And we're all, we're all probably having a hard time walking today. But that impact made such a difference because you just lived life with us. And, and that's really one of the stories I want to make sure we communicate with the listeners today. A lot of people think, well, discipleship is so complicated. you got to have a program. No. What you modeled to us was just life, and you went out of your way to live life with us. For instance, but it, when it I was lost... fun. It was just a blast, and you know we we developed uh, deep deep friendships, and and we we grew together, and we were figuring it out together because I didn't know how to do that, but I just followed what uh, Tom told us, and he was just spot on in mm-hmm. that. It was it was an all glorious to God, you know. Yeah, no, it's absolutely. I understand that. I'm not putting you up too high on a pedestal, but I always like to make sure you, you understand how grateful I am. But for me, because I was on the south side, I was on the uh, across the river, which everybody acted like that was like the Great Wall of China. You know, when I lost my license because I got in that car accident, and you said, "Well, I'll come pick you up and take you to youth group." <laughs> you probably don't even remember that, but you had that. I did. I, I didn't that remember element. that. No. You, you, didn't you have like a Monte Carlo or some big gas guzzling machine that you were driving or something? I don't remember. What it's it was. probably a, a Dodge something or other. Yeah. But but you drove all the way to Burnsville and took me back to church, and we did discipleship along the way, and that was when I realized, wow, okay, this guy's all in. I gotta listen because he's all in. So God has Praise shifted Lord. your ministry. You, you, God shifted the two of your ministry from Brazil full time. He brought you back to the States. You kind of did this reset. And all of a sudden God says, wait a minute. Here's, here's what, what you did in Brazil. I now want you to multiply it a thousandfold. How did that change come about? Uh, do you want to go first? No, you go. <laughs> all right. Hey, don't fight. Uh, we don't, no, no, we don't <laughs> have very time for fighting. I think my yeah. story is different. Yeah, our stories are quite different. You know, uh, we came back because um, God had given us a new call. It was very clear to to leave Brazil 
and uh, and I was three years as a church planning director for our mission in, in Latin America, Caribbean. And uh, it was a short time, but I, I learned a lot of lessons that I'm still using today. Um, and then uh, he directed me to this mission mission work where I train uh, pastors around the world that have little to no resources. They don't have access to Bible colleges and, and seminaries. And it's a very simple, reproducible training where they can we teach them how to study any text of the Bible and to understand it well and help apply it to today and be able to proclaim that, preach that, teach that, whatever their gifts are to to other people. And we're just seeing a huge transformation in in the thousands of guys now that are are part of that uh, program in, in in over twenty countries in the world. So um, I just looked back, and God took a whole bunch of pieces, and he kept adding pieces when he brought us back uh, to live in, in the United States for, for these last years. And then finally he said, all right, I've gifted you to teach, so I want you to teach. So I really dedicated my, my last seven years to, to really teaching. So, but Linda, it also shifted your paradigm. Coming out of Brazil, you realized something that you had experienced on the mission field, and you're like, I, I got to do something for the women that are involved in ministry. What, what was it that God laid on your heart? Right. Well, after living overseas for 20 years and raising our kids there, I just, um, I knew firsthand the struggles, um, and I often wished that I would have had a mentor, somebody just that I could talk to, that I could ask questions to. You, I mean, women feel very lonely on the field oftentimes. I dreamed of, um, you know, with Mike kind of off doing different ministry, I found myself in kind of a vacuum of like, Lord, what do you have for me now? Um, and I dreamed of being able to use that experience just to bless other missionary women that I saw struggling within our mission. But we had over 400-some women, and I'm like, I can't, you know, disciple, mentor all of them. I just don't have bandwidth to do that. So um, I did start something that we call Women's Network, which just means that um, we select veteran, mature women within our mission train them to be listeners, encouragers, mentors, and coaches, and then that group of women connect with our new missionary women going out for the first year, like once a month at least, if not more often, just to be that listening ear, that safe place that a new missionary woman can talk um, and share her heart and what she's struggling with. All right, we're talking today with Mike and Linda Gunderson, longtime friends of mine and longtime missionaries in our lives as they have been traveling around the world training pastors and leaders and supporting their wives. Mike and Linda, when you look at this ministry that you guys have been involved in now these last seven years, as God expanded your reach literally around the globe, and you're training and you're discipling pastors and leaders and their wives and offering encouragement, Linda, do you ever get tired? Yeah, yeah, you do get tired. Um, I think there's, and there's different kinds of tired. I think there's the physical tired. I don't travel nearly as much as Mike does, so um, I don't experience that physical tired. But I think people are complicated. And um, when you invest in people, <laughs> it's messy, you know, and it's difficult at times. And um, But I think one of the things that we have really learned over the years is that it's often the messiest when God is working and doing his deepest work in people's lives. So, yeah, um, you do get tired, but when you see God working and God changing people's lives, that is just super energizing. 
I'm just going to repeat what you just said because that was like quotable, quotable. It will be on Facebook tonight. People, people are complicated. That wasn't, you know, that was not brain scientist, but you have a doctorate, obviously, in counseling by now. But it's often the messiest when God does his deepest work in our lives. That was powerful because people are always complaining when it gets really, really messy. You're like, what's God doing? Why is he let me do Well, he's doing the deepest work. I'd love that. That was fantastic. Sorry. Okay. So talk to me about this women's care network that you're, Mike, it's your fault. You're the one that invested in me. That's why I'm here like this. So I get excited just like you did. You, I learned, I'm imitating you what I watch you do. So Linda, this care network, this women's network that you've put together, talk to me about who are these women that, that are getting supported and encouraged. Well, these are our missionary women from within our mission that are getting support. Um, that's that's the main focus of Women's Network. When I travel with Mike, I will try to reach out to the women that are there, um, but that's more sporadic. So my main job is being on the a part of the member care team of our mission, which is just caring for our missionaries, and I focus on women. Um, trying to, you know, when they come off the field and they just need somebody, um, they, they come through our national office, which is in Minneapolis, which is where we're home-based. Um, we do something called debrief, which is just where missionaries get to tell their story about their term on the field. And there's so many things that missionaries um, deal with, struggle with, that they can't tell a supporting church or even their supporters. It's just inappropriate or not well-received. So part of our team, our member care team, is just to come alongside our missionaries that are really hurting and give them a safe place to be heard and cared for. So it's what Women's Network does as a network, but also what I do in my job. So when you look at the the kinds of things that mis, that missionary wives and and pastors' wives and leaders' wives suffer from the most is it loneliness? Is it exhaustion? Is it frustration? What do you think is the biggest thing? Wow, you know that's a really good question. Um, I think it's so different for each person. But here's a statistic that really shocked me, and I actually, I, I, I know it's true. They say that the average missionary, overseas missionary, has a stress level three to five times greater than the average inner city policeman. And so it kind of gives you a window into the stress of our missionaries serving overseas, and wives um, carry that. And then they, on top of it, they are often um, more stuck at home. So I think loneliness is absolutely a huge issue for our women. Um, and anxiety and stress and, you know, homeschooling issues or schooling in general issues, um, yeah, there's just a myriad of things that can happen to our missionary women serving overseas. So, Mike, you're you're working, you're discipling and teaching pastors and leaders around the world, and 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 what I've seen here in the states, I'm sure it's repeated there. Are most of the pastors and leaders that you, in, within the churches are most of them bivocational? Do they have two different jobs? I mean, they get a job that pays them, and then they're a pastor as well. A lot of the pastors that are in our in our network are bivocational. Absolutely, the the guys that I train are a lot of them. Um, um, I'll, I'll, a smaller percentage would be bivocational because they're chosen as master trainers. So they might have a little more education, a little, and uh, might not be bivocational. But the ones so you're training the trainers. Them are we're training the trainers because it's a reproducible system. Yeah. So when you're training the trainers, here here you go. I'm putting you on the spot. This one wasn't on the questions I told you I was going to ask, but oh well. That's okay. (laughs) You're. I mean, what I've seen is that. 
first of all, the marriage marriage struggles within missionaries is is major because you, you know marriage is rough when you're living in the states and everything is you know it's suburbia good. Now you take a missionary couple and you shove them in a foreign country with a different language and a radically different culture. Marriage gets difficult, and now you're you're also dealing with poverty issues. You're dealing with things like that. How often when you're training and discipling these pastors and leaders, do you dig into their marital issues, training them to how to have an effective Christ-centered marriage? Well, we do that some. We, um, you know, we study the Word with them, and um, in some cases, particularly in Africa, we do a lot of breakout sessions with uh, with the, the trainers that we're training. And we'll do uh, one of the main focuses on on marriage and on raising of children uh, because it's so, so critical. And so we'll study scripture text on that together and and talk about it. And we've been amazed over these over these last years and in some places in the world, and it's it's you know continent by continent, you, have, you deal with different needs, but we're amazed at at uh, the how messed up a lot of marriages are. Um, and how um, sometimes abusive their relationships are uh, with children and with with uh, wives. Um, and I just hate to even say specifics on the on the air, but we we see a lot of mess, a lot of mess. Well, and, and I think that that's something that a lot of people don't realize. First of all, that that missionaries and pastors they think well they're they're missionaries and pastors their marriages must just be perfect but they have a lot of stresses and then in these foreign countries well it doesn't matter in this country and in the foreign countries there's all the cultural influence i mean the statistics are now that 50% of the pastors in the united states are are, are addicted to some form of pornography i mean people are struggling it's a tough job and they expect them to be perfect and they're not and they're not dealing with it so how do you come alongside what when you go out there you're training the trainers but yet the trainers then have all that pressure as well how are you encouraging your trainers to make sure that they keep their relationship with the lord number one and their relationship with their wife number two and their kids number three and then their ministry how do you make sure that they're keeping their priorities in the right right order yeah there's two things one is we study the word and and one thing i've learned and it's month after month the the power of god's word along with the work of the spirit is way more powerful than any human words. So God uses His Word and touches guys, and, and we've had we've had pastors come and confess to us that that they're living in adultery, that they're that they're in sin, um, and they confess all kinds of things to us. And that's in part because of the second piece is when we go back and train, we go three times a year and for a week, and we we eat with these guys, we talk to them, we build a relationship. So I think that combination of the spirit and the word and the and then a, building a trusting relationship opens the doors. But I will say I totally agree with you. You know, people are people probably are shocked when they find out how how human pastors and missionaries and ministry people are. And the bottom line is we're all made of the same uh, the same uh, flesh. We have the same struggles as everybody else. And it's not good for for anybody to get put on a pedestal, and and unfortunately, missionaries and and pastors get put there. But uh, we're just we deal with the same kind of issues that everybody else does. Now, you guys have been on the mission field for twenty eight years. You guys are you've been raising your own salary. You go out and serve people across the globe. Yet you have to raise your own salary, right? Yep. 
Just like any other missionary. I've always loved to see the biblical example for that because I I totally have a problem with the fact that we make missionaries raise money and then be teachers, evangelism, and disciples. What's your biggest need today? How how underfunded are you guys today? Or how how can people get involved in your ministry today, the ministry of this teaching and discipling of pastors around the world? How can they help? Yeah, well, I'd say there's... um... There are two different questions. What's our greatest need? Okay. And this will sound cliche, but we this becomes stronger and stronger to, to us all the time. Our greatest need is prayer support, when you talk in terms of, of support. And uh, we just really, really sense when people are praying hard, we can, we can feel it, and we can sense God's presence and His power. And uh, all missionaries in, in the world need that. Um, and so that's a that's the main need. We we uh, we have financial needs. Actually, our our support has dropped uh, in the last two years, um, and so we we have uh, we're about four hundred and fifty dollars a month short. So that's something people can pray about. And if somebody would want to um, know more about our ministry, they could they could contact us, and we could uh, uh, we could talk. All right, we'll put a link on our Facebook page tonight. And you can find out more about Reach Global at reach-global.org, reach-global.org. Mike and Linda Gunderson have been international missionaries for almost 30 years, investing in the lives of pastors and leaders and their wives. And Mike and Linda, as you guys have spent so much time investing in others, and I know that you get tired. Gundy, I've seen the pictures of you sleeping with your granddaughter in your in your hands. Uh, it's It's great, but... Talk to me about the biggest needs for the international church. As you see it, I'm sure you see com- a common thread of need. What is it? Linda? Oh, you want me to go first? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think, I. you know, it sounds kind of cliche. It's like, you know, when you hear the, the beauty pageant and they say, what do you, you know, if you could have anything happen, and they always say world peace. You know, I think to this question it really is the answer is Jesus, and people need Jesus, but they need a real Jesus. It's not, um, I think sometimes in missions, when we look at the world, we just think if we can get over there and get a bunch of, of people to raise their hands to say that they, um, you know, accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, and then walk away and run home and tell about these amazing stories, um, it's great, but it is just, it's so much deeper, and um, the need is so much greater. People need to be followed up. They need to be discipled. You know, they need to to learn to walk in the Spirit and to bear fruit and to depend on Jesus. Um, so I just think, I think they need, the world needs Jesus, but they need a, a real, a deeper walk with Him, and not just an exposure where we... Um, you know, as American missionaries ride in our white horse and then come home with these stories, I think um, we need to learn how to walk alongside better. Michael, Michael, what would you say? The greatest need? Yeah, uh, on a similar vein, I'd say the the greatest need is for equipping and empowering. So people need to know how to do discipleship. They need they need people to go and and to teach them how to do it, show them how to do it, and empower them to do it. Uh, the same with you know all kinds of different ministries, health health ministries and agronomy, and all these things. The need is not there. There are a gazillion needs in the world, but the greater need is for for us to go and equip people to do it, so that they are empowered to do it themselves. Uh, okay. And I think that's that's the great need. 
All right, listen, i got to close the show up, but I want to pray with you guys. So, Father, I just ask that you continue to multiply the work that Mike and Linda are involved in with, it's with the pastor's wives and the pastors and leaders, Lord, that you would use their example of training up leaders to train the trainers, Lord, that you would use this and encourage other organizations around the world to do the, exactly the same thing. Thanks for their witness and thanks for their impact on my life, which is now impacting other lives. Lord, just use this for your glory and for your honor and thank you for their lives and making this possible today. In Christ's name, amen. Mike and Linda Gunderson, thank you so much for being on I Work For Him today. Thank you. I love it. it thank it you. pleasure. All right. Hey, as we come to the end of another I Work For Him show, go out to iworkforhim.com tonight and make that commitment to start praying for your coworkers and employees by name each and every day. Joining the I Work For Him nation, there's no fee. It's a commitment in your life to start transport, to being willing to be part of the transformation in your workplace because there is an epic battle for the souls of our coworkers and employees, and you are part of that battle. You need to suit up. Start praying for your coworkers and employees by name each and every day. Go out to iWorkForHim.com. Click on the I Work For Him Nation flag. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower. I own my own business, but ultimately, God is on the throne, and I work for him.